0: Welcome, fiends, to Handle with We are a horror podcast presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network, discussing horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. With me tonight, as always, are my co-hosts, Holly Hooch and John. So, guys, you know, here we are, uh, a couple of days after our last recorded. You know, a couple couple of scheduled hiccups here and there, but uh, we figured it out. We don't have to do any sort of, like, wonky... Uh, swaps where anyone is having to miss. show or anything like that. so we're we're on schedule to release and uh what a way to cap things off. And a lot of that is to blame on Holly because uh, she picked the most uh, experimental choice out of the five weeks by quite a wide margin, I would say.
1: So good though. Mm-hmm. Did you guys enjoy the movie? So the movie that we're talking about, Santa Sangre today, which is a Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. Am I saying it too fast? No, I think <laughs> it's fine. So uh, we talked a little bit about uh, this director before uh, in the in our last in our last review, just as we were prefacing this particular video. And of course, he's really famous for that Beatles-funded movie, Holy Mountain. Uh, his first movie that he uh, well the this. There was a a movie that he made when he was a lot younger, but then like the big famous one, the first that he did that was really big and famous was uh, El Topo, which I haven't seen yet. So I got to check that one out. But uh, yes, lots of experimental cinema. And he's um, a really impressive person in general. And I came this close to joining his cult. I'll tell you all about it later. But maybe we can present the movie. Did you want to do that, T, or did you want me to do that?
0: Uh we'll do that in just a minute. So just as a friendly reminder, a couple of general podcast notes. Uh we've been doing our weekly watch parties every Thursday night on Stream Lounge, uh, which is at 830 PM Pacific time. Uh so for this upcoming one, we'll be watching the Sasuka Sisters American Mary to cap off our shutter selects. And uh, for those that haven't used Stream Lounge yet, that is uh, free to use. It's free to sign up with using your shutter Login or Netflix, whatever we're actually using at the time. So come check us out there. Uh, and if you're looking to support the podcast, you can do a couple of different things. Uh, you know, just keep in touch with us over on social media. Uh, you can buy merchandise on our T public at tpublic.com slash handle with scare. And we also have our Patreon at patreon.com handle with scare where we have the tiers starting at just $1 a month. You can get, you know, early access to our content, uh, movie and phobia selections, as well as commentary tracks and so much more. All right. So with that being said, of course, as you can tell, we got a full house tonight. John is with us yet again. And, uh, you know, I have to say, John, you know, we've uh, we've been at it for a few months now, having having three people on the show. And, it you know, it's just it feels good to expand the show and just get that cohesion down, pretty pat because bringing new people onto the show uh from past experience has always kind of been a hurdle and in this case it wasn't even a speed bump it was just like oh we're just so we're rolling right on through i
1: told you (laughs) i told you it would be like that
2: definitely cool thank you (laughs) yeah it's been fun It's, it's been great definitely to join in
1: so john and i go way back and um i was really excited for him to join us because he's a huge horror movie fan. And then, of course, he's got a, a really soothing tone <laughs> that I think uh, does pretty well with my manic tone. So I, and I, I particularly like your tone as well. T. I didn't mean to leave you out. Everybody's <laughs> tone is great. We're tone rich.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, so last week uh, we fed a bunch of children at a Chuck E. Cheese to a demonic clown. In Cloud, and uh, you know, tonight we're capping things off with the un- unique horror experiment, uh, which has a lot of like cultural themes that are more of like, uh, I wouldn't say it more of a shock, but just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, which is fine, you know, I-, I love watching foreign cinema, uh, but there are definitely some things in this movie that like kind of flew over my head uh but all in all like a very intriguing movie and i've watched it a few times since uh when we watched it the prior tuesday on twisted tuesday uh so you know holly you already kind of like leaned us into this one a little bit uh Mm -hmm. but 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 why don't why don't you give just like a general rundown of like who the focal point of this story is built around because you do have like a pretty main (laughs) character and then you kind of get his like childhood uh, recited back to us over the course of the movie.
1: Right. So it's a coming of age story. Everybody calls it that. And it's pretty (laughs) accurate. A story of a young boy who's being raised in a circus. His dad is the ringmaster who is um, uh, an abusive alcoholic. And his mother is the very gorgeous trapeze artist of the circus who is in a very abusive relationship with the father and who uh, also is a cult leader of a church called Santa Sangre, which is pretty rad. Anyway, uh, the story goes on into how um, this young boy named Phoenix, really heavy on the symbolism on this movie, like every little thing means something, except for the stuff that doesn't, I can tell you a little bit about that too. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this young boy uh, sees the really uh, abusive relationship that his father and his mother have, and he, and to him, violence and sexuality, sex and violence, like the song, like the exploited song, just go hand in hand. And um, his parents meet a really tragic end, which which we should talk about, scene, you know, like see my scene because it was pretty amazing. And he goes on to become a serial killer, and and, and then of course, um, I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. Uh, in in as he goes on has lots of psychological issues, is institutionalized, and can only really uh, exist as as the only two people that he knows, his mother or his, or his father. But then in the end, if we have a happy, pseudo-happy ending where he, he gains agency, and you know everybody is happy except for the tons of women that he killed. So, yeah, let's get into it.
0: <laughs> All right, so as you mentioned, we have Phoenix, who, you know, really early on we're introduced to uh, when he's grown up and he's committed to the mental hospital. And, you know, like, right off the bat, you you, you know, obviously, because he's in a loony bin, he's not all quite there. You know, he kind of has, like, s- this knack for being purged atop, you know, this tree that is in his room. Uh, doesn't really have, like, a bed in outside of, like, a wicker basket with a blanket in it. Uh, Basically, like, something you would find a dog sleeping in. Uh, well, You know, he also likes, like, sleeping naked. <laughs> right.
1: Um,
2: Wow. It's like his nest.
1: I thought that was like that was, I, 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 and the thing is, like I might be wrong about a lot of shit. Tonight. No, they they it's do doesn't... they
0: do hone in on the eagle really early on.
1: And they they, they try to feed him regular food, but he mm-hmm. won't eat that. But he'll come down from his perch, a very very tall perch, uh, to eat a raw fish. And he's perched up there naked. And uh, actually, as you were saying that, it just struck me how how accommodating this like institution was that they get they gave him a huge ass perch and an eagle's nest and fed him raw fish. Mm-hmm. I feel like they wouldn't do that in real life. Yeah, they, I feel like they'd just be like, oh
0: here's your oatmeal. I'll see you tomorrow. That that and just the fact that they kept the tree perch really close to the window.
1: The open window, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. a big uh,
0: Not really thought out too well, uh, on that front. Uh but you know, we uh we start to recount his childhood and you know, growing up he performed in the circus, he was a child magician. Uh, and, you know, his, his dad was the, the ringmaster, uh, as you had mentioned. And, you know, really early on, they kind of established, like, you know, his dad isn't necessarily the best, right? Like, he killed a woman in America, and because of that, you know, his dad drinks a lot, they're not really welcome back to America, so, you know, they're residing where they're at now. And that's where we're introduced to, like, some of the different acts of the circus, you know, they have a tightrope act, Uh, And you have Phoenix, who immediately hits it off with uh, this mute girl uh, who is basically performing a tightrope act where she's walking across fire. Uh, In this case, you know, she's being trained, but trained, quote, but really just whipping her, essentially, uh, by the tattooed woman uh, who is basically like this poison IVS, scarlet. Who like is also she, a prostitute?
1: <laughs> it's so sensual. It's insane how how much sexuality she exudes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a. I I thought that was hilarious. I was like, I have very. I've never seen a woman exude so much sexuality as this one. I thought that was really funny.
0: Yeah, and it's that really early on too, because you have the clowns in the movie who are all getting an eyeful as she like disrobes in front of the remaster. Uh, and, you know, they're all, like, they're all, like, pointing at her tattoos, like, saying what each one is. And they're just, like, all oohing and on over her body uh, in this case. And that's when the Remaster ties her up to the knife board. Uh, and, you know, the, the knife scenes in this movie uh, are, are very intriguing because one of the main focal points with the knives is the fact that the performer is able to do hypnosis on whoever he is throwing knives at, which I thought was very intriguing. It wasn't just a straight like, all right, I'm just going to tie you up to the board and I'm going to throw knives at you like you would typically see uh, in other circus acts. So I thought that was a pretty unique touch as well.
1: What about you, John? What did you think? You've never seen a movie before, right?
0: I haven't seen it before. No.
2: Uh, What'd you
1: think overall? By the way, we probably should have gotten your take before we got into it. Oh
2: mm-hmm. um, no, I liked it a lot, definitely, and uh, I liked, yeah, no, that part with the uh, knife throwing and the. Oh, what was I gonna say? The, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, but no, I definitely liked that a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: We'll we'll talk a little bit more about it. We'll bring back the mojo. Okay. (laughs) So one really interesting thing was that the circus and um, Phoenix's dad, well, is is the American circus and it's called uh, the Gringo Circus. And uh, he's, um, he's got a big eagle tattooed on his chest. He's always in sparkly uh, flag themed clothing. And uh, the relationship that he has with Phoenix's mom uh, the the trapeze artist is that um, she is hypnotized by him. She's very religious, and uh, despite her religion, she is with this man. And she's it's not necessarily like a love that she has for him; it's an obsession, and it's an and it's a it, it's it's just a very toxic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And so right from the get go, there's like no easy way for him to see how how a couple should be interacting, what a a loving relationship should look like. And there was a, an interview that Jodorowsky did where they asked him, like, well, why? Does she stay with him when he's so awful? And then he just straight up says like, well, he represents America and, you know, and just the oppressive relationship that Mexico has with America and how how uh, Mexico is very receptive of all American culture and in a way that's very hypnotic. So that that was intense. But I thought it was also very, very
0: interesting. Well, I thought she was just charmed by the snake since uh, that, that's, that's kind of a common trend even in some of the other performances that we see later on in the in the act.
2: Well, but, yeah. and I don't mean any offense by this, but for I actually didn't quite realize that it was a the, a cult. I thought it was like a, a Catholic sect sort of. Uh, and so I was actually thinking it was like a religious thing at first, not just a, a straight up cult thing. Um, and so I kind of thought it was the thing where they were married, the two, right? Um, or were they the uh,
0: they're they don't specify, yeah, they're just right? together. That's, 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 that's the extent of the information that we have,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. They may or may not be, though. I don't really they're have
2: definitely anything. together, but I kind of thought it was that thing where it was just like she was married to him and she was with him no matter what. And so even though she didn't really like him all that much, uh, you know, she was kind of stuck with him, but at the same time, you know, was attracted to him to aspects of him, you know, and wanted to but be. I'm usually
1: exclusive though, right?
2: <laughs> Not to, and I don't want to get sexist, but it felt, you know, there was, there's that kind of traditional thing in, in, these movies where, uh, you know, it's like the woman is just kind of like attracted to him, like sort of irresistibly and she just can't control herself kind of thing because he's so macho and awesome, (laughs) you know, that (laughs) that she just can't (laughs) control herself, even though she knows he's not a good person, you know, where it's kind of the macho culture thing, you know,
1: That's that's the thing as well. Um, I wanted to go back to what you were saying about the sect. We can call it a sect, which is a, a more, um, I
2: Wait, guess, is,
1: uh, is, polite word is, is than it
2: cult. Am I off base? Though, what is there any kind of Catholic connection with this cult, or is it? Well, just that's the thing. The... What I
1: wanted to talk about is mm-hmm. that there is, um, and and I'm. This is just my personal perspective, and, and you know, it's not like it, I have a lot of like re, uh, resources to sort of support this, but just growing up. Uh, my family was really Catholic, but then on occasion we would go see a curandera or somebody who could like read like cards or had visions. And even though, uh, my family considered themselves really Catholic, there was also this sort of side, like this really mystical, non exactly Catholic thing going on that, you know, the Catholic church would turn a blind eye to because they, they don't want to ostracize their, uh, their, um, their congregants. And it's just, there's a lot of, um, and non-Catholic religious and spiritual things going on in Mexico that are sort of incorporated into the culture, but not exactly the religion. So you actually kind of saw that a little bit in the beginning of the movie where a bishop stops by and she considers her church as really valid. And she sees it as she sees Catholicism, which is here's our saint. Uh, this is our church. And, yeah. um, you know, everything is holy here. And here comes this bishop, and he's like, well, "This isn't, this isn't a saint. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Mm-hmm. That's not real." But incidentally, like when you think about it, like he says, "This isn't a saint." And then the pool of blood that they're bathing in, uh, he's like, "Well, this is just paint." But then again, you know, uh, when you think if you when you compare the saint to say like Christ, there's not a lot of difference there, right? In terms of like the the imagery and the in the situations of, of of being oppressed and then uh, being hurt and then coming back or whatever. And then when you think about the holy Uh, the pool of blood, there's not much difference between that and the wafer that, you know, Catholics take and that they consider the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 um, it's arbitrary. And actually this movie uh, was really controversial and people were very violently uh, angry about uh, the fact that Jodorowsky made this movie and he he actually received threats to his life because of it.
0: Yeah. I can definitely see that because when you talk about like the foundation of this temple, uh, you know, the saint that uh, acts as a martyr in this case was, like, this young girl who had her arms cut off when she tried to uh, fight back from, like, a sexual assault attempt. And then she still got raped anyway. And then you see, like, this mannequin that's set up uh, in her image inside this temple. And, like, it's, it's about to be torn down by, like, a bulldozer. And that's when, you know, the father... You know, drop spider the bishop in this case, uh, to you know get kind of like a lay of the land in this case, and then he just thinks it's complete heresy because it in, mm-hmm. in this case it is, but not in the minds of all of the churchgoers, uh, at Santa Sangre, which is you know the holy blood, and I I thought the whole pointing out, uh, you know the the holy blood or you know water in this case uh was paint was really smart but like the whole time she's like trying to calm everyone down like everyone was still like so convinced in the fact like what they were doing had real meaning behind it and whatever this bishop uh said didn't matter to them you know they're just in their own little world uh and the whole time like you see him i think i don't know if it's his son or like someone else from the church he's like trying to shield him from oh, right. all like, of the chants that, and like the things that, that they're crazy. talking about
1: yeah yeah that was neat, but it's you know it, it's it's such a really fun conversation to have uh, the difference between an established religion and what others would consider a cult. There isn't one. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's just the length of of existence and tradition, mm-hmm. right? So that's. Um, but then again, like, this was a church that, you know, uh, you've got a, a woman leading it, and and like, there was a lot more heresy to it, that mean, like, the word heresy applied to a lot of different things, you know? You've got a woman leader, you got the uh, the saint as a woman, uh, it was, it, it's, I thought that was really uh, telling and neat, and I had a, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. Incidentally, uh, so there's been a release, a re-release of this movie in like, higher definition, and with all the sorts of bells and whistles. I don't know if you guys uh, noticed that as you were um, looking for it. And apparently it's got a lot of case candy. There's interviews, there's uh, all sorts of tidbits of information about the production. And that's probably like one of the most amazing things about this movie is that a lot of elements of it are not fabricated so much as compiled by the director. So uh, he sees interesting uh, interesting people, interesting things, in his surroundings. And he's like, "Well, I got to put this in my movie." And so that church that they were at, um, and I heard this—I heard this like secondhand. So I opened up, lying. So you should go and buy this DVD set, and then you know you can tell us if we were wrong. Uh, uh, well, anyways, that, that this was a real church that was a church for prostitutes, and that uh, everybody got to cut the pimps, the priest, and the, and and you know a little bit for you know from the prostitutes and. I thought that was really interesting. And there's other things that happen in the movie that have makes no sense. The only reason that they're in them is because they're interesting, such as uh, the guy with the ear, the detachable ear who tries to feed it to Alma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has no apparently symbolic value other than the fact that somebody told Jodorowsky, he's like, oh, we know a guy who could take his ear off. He's like, well, let me check it out. He's like, yes, <laughs> this is going in. So, Very but it's, yeah,
2: they're
1: just elements of like heightened, humanity somehow you know and it's just super interesting so
2: when his movies of course all have that kind of surreal dreamlike nightmare kind of feel to them and I actually have seen holy mountain and this definitely feels more cohesive and like a traditional story than holy mountain uh did which is harder to follow and more experimental um but the, that part you know i guess you know it was meant to sort of express the, the craziness of that event as she was running away and running through the crowd and everything was very... Uh,
1: yeah, the ear part.
2: Yeah, and then she reaches the guy with the ear and he pulls it out and he's, like, trying to feed it to her.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I It's going to be hard to stay
0: on track about this movie, though. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the first time a man tried to force something on her, in this case, uh, since, Different. you know... Uh, the tattooed woman was selling her off as well in uh, prostitution against will. in this case. But anyways, getting back to the church. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about like how this temple was about to get bulldozed. And, uh, you know, you had Phoenix's mother, who was like the uh, the main person who was the, the last person standing, basically, uh, as everything was coming down. And Phoenix sees this, uh, you know, his mom is like grasping... Uh, you know, the the mannequin in this case, and Phoenix is right there, uh, while basically everyone else flees the scene because they don't want to, you know, die in this temple. Uh, And, you know, eventually Phoenix and his mom do leave this, uh, and then, you know, this is when we get that early interaction between his mom and the tattooed woman, uh, because, you know, her husband and her are getting pretty close. And I will say, like, this scene... Last way too long in a sense that I, I, I felt it was weird only for the reason that you have all of these other like, uh, you know, yeah. circus people who are like playing looking, yeah. music, looking on. And here she is like bagging her ass up very slowly <laughs> into this guy's face. And, you know, the, the mom comes in, sees this. Uh, and, you know, we got more, a little bit of knife play, which is very common in this movie, uh, both from, you know, the knife throwing, knife licking, moaning, whenever a knife's gonna thrown at you, all of the above, uh, but in this case, like, she's licking the tip of the knife, uh, and that's when <laughs> Phoenix's mom comes in, grabs the knife, and basically threatens to kill this tattooed woman, but I felt like, this scene felt like it went on for, like, five minutes, because she's just very slowly backing up towards the guy. And I'm just like, what, what even is the scene? It's a
1: seduction scene. It was, I mean, like, it was very long and it was very intense, but also I was very captivated. Mm. <laughs> it was not, my eyes did not leave the screen, <laughs> but right. So it, it, then this is the, uh, sort of like pretty close to the end of the, of the first act. Right. Because right after this, uh, uh, Mom's attacking Dad with a with a knife, but then he he's taking off his shirt because he wants to uh, expose his uh, eagle tattoo, which is part of the hypnotism, is, is along with the knife. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, she's asking him not to do it because even even though she's got the weapon, you know, uh, he's basically like, you know, brandishing his power, which is I mean, he's a not weapon a too. Huh?
0: <laughs> he is a weapon too.
1: <laughs> and so, and then they go off and they have like the very sort of. Um, important scene in the movie which is where um phoenix sees his mom and dad having very uh just i don't know how else to call it other than toxic sex because she's hypnotized she hates him she's still in her in her sect garb by the way and they're just off somewhere in the circus where it's still very audible like like having very loud sex and she's very like there's part you can see that she she hates herself for liking that kind of moment at the same time one of their elephants is dying, and you see this gigantic animal just pouring buckets of blood from his trunk. At the same time as uh, you know the mom and dad right here are going at it, and the sounds of climax sort of you know tie- are time come in time with the the death of this elephant. Which in some other analysis, there's there's a there's a lot of reviews about this movie online, which is pretty great. And in one of those analyses, they 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 wanted to compare. The elephant to like his innocence or however you, his, basically him. Him sort of dying, seeing this, you know, moment with his mom and dad. And then, of course, one of the most amazing scenes in the movie is that this whole circus has a funeral for the elephant. And they have a procession for this elephant that is in an elephant-sized coffin, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Was that not the most amazing thing you've ever seen?
0: <laughs> the The only thing I could think of during this procession was just seeing a tattooed woman being like, "Really, that's what you're wearing to this funeral? Show a little respect." <laughs> like, cause she she, to be fair, she isn't black as was everyone, but like she's literally not wearing anything, really.
2: <laughs> and then, of course, they. I thought they were going to be dumping it into a river or into the ocean or something. But then it's just kind um, of into a pit where they throw other stuff, and there's a whole sort of. It's a dump.
1: It's a yeah.
2: dump, basically, and then of yeah. course there's people waiting to go and pick it apart as soon as they dump it in there.
1: And you know, like that's the you know essence of life. There, there's something going to eat something else at all times, and that comes up a lot in the movie. Um, even later when we see some uh, dismembered body parts. There's dogs right there right away licking up the blood and eating
2: the pieces. Nope, it seems like the uh, clowns, especially, you know, as well throughout the movie pretty much, but we've seen them a few times so far in the movie are sort of playing a Greek chorus role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something is happening. That's kind of major. They'll kind of gather in the background and like, you know, add to it or observe it or, you know, just kind of okay. be there in the background.
1: In the funeral oh. procession, they're in black, but they're still clowns. And then they have uh, the the squirty eye things, so oh, they're yeah. crying. They're like they're pantomiming like they're crying, but the the water squirting from their eyes.
0: It's pretty fucking hilarious,
1: actually. So these are some nice clowns. I'm glad yeah. we're ending our clown month with some nice clowns.
0: Yeah, they they really weren't all that terrifying they were all happy clowns in this case unlike in the lesser history of the happy and a sad clown uh, but i i think like my favorite clown moment in this movie was when they're trying to cheer up phoenix and the one clown has like the red hair uh that kind of like lifts up kind of like propellers like it's waving <laughs> i i just thought like one that is extremely weird but it was also hilarious to me from like a child's perspective
1: right <laughs> These are some neat clowns. So after this, is this the... I I can't remember if this is happening at this point, but after this is when he has a connection with Alma? Or was that before? Well, he had some moments with Alma before, and then um, I guess the majority of the moments happen when um, after he gets tattooed by his dad, right? So after the death of the elephant, he's crying a lot, and his dad kind of feels like, this might be time to, you know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: turn you into a a man.
1: man." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Become a man and gives him a very primitive. That actually turned out pretty well. Uh, eagle tattoo on his chest to a boy who's like what, like mm-hmm. ten? You guys ever it, get tattooed by your dads
0: at ten? Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> Can't say I have.
2: By the way, is Alma the girl? Is she the young girl that's his with the face makeup and everything? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. She was the only at first when she was young. She was the only creepy clowns in the movie. She was, I thought, she was a little bit on the creepy side, and then
1: she's a lot on the creepy side.
2: But then after he gets the tattoo and become, and they the adult face, like she didn't have the makeup on anymore. It took a minute to kind of remember to kind of make the connection with the older version of them. Yeah,
1: well, they were very different. I mean, I. You know, of course, they're going to be different actresses, but the younger version was uh, a Latina actress. Well, I actually don't know if the they, they, they were just very, very different. Right. So which um maybe <laughs> this might be a good time to talk about all of Jodorowsky's sons that uh, acted in the movie. Four of them. Count them. I think it was four. It was at least four. So we got baby Phoenix. We got older Phoenix. We've got the pimp. And then we have um, the the guy who worked at the institution who was supposed to be watching the kids with Down syndrome, but then instead was um, having sex with the nurse in the van. Four kids. So I thought that was a really interesting and also makes sense that a a director would want to have his family working on a film because, you know, it does mean that he gets to push them as far as he wants before, uh,
0: you know, somebody else steps in and tells him to stop Yeah, and pay them less, too.
1: There you go. Pay them. You get paid with fame. There's a really good
0: uh, documentary
2: about Jodorowsky. Uh, We talked about it in the, the previous podcast where he was making Dune or attempting to make Dune. And there's a really good documentary about it. But from what I remember in the documentary, he was a little bit of a stage father and kind of forced his kids into acting in the movies. And then, you know, they were interviewed as adults. Uh, in this documentary and not, they didn't like hate their dad or anything, but I think a couple of them were kind of like, we were made to do this and weren't really into it as kids. (laughs) Because of course, you know, being a kid on a movie set, I'm sure is, you know, pretty boring for the most part.
1: Not this movie. (laughs) Well, if we want to get a little bit into Jodorowsky's uh, background. So he, um, born in 1929 born in chile and then he and then he spent time he lived in mexico and he lived in paris too and he was a really he uh his early career he was a mime and he was so he was really really successful and at 18 he'd already had his own theater company and um he uh started really uh, experimenting with different forms of art uh he did something called i wrote it down here he had a something called a panic movement which uh also showed a lot of sexual violence and it was basically just you know crazy movies kind of you know there was a surrealist move uh, movement as well going on that he was part of and uh um i'm trying to remember that uh the salvador dali movie but you know in the same sort of uh genre where it's just utter insanity and um and if 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 you're i guess you can if you can follow what's going on then you're smarter than me <laughs> But, which doesn't take much, but uh, um, it's just really interesting to think about uh, where he came from, and then if we talk a little bit about you know we were saying how this has the mo- the most cohesive plot than his other movies. You know, we, were, we talked about Otoko and Holy Mountain. I think he did one called Tusk, which was weird. Um, it's um, it, it's really interesting to see that he basically refined, or not even, not even refined, but like filtered what he'd been doing before into a more consumable uh, story. And I think that it it really, his artistic ability just really kind of shines. And this is, I understand, one of his favorite movies of his. So I thought that was pretty neat.
0: Definitely. Makes sense. Uh, So going back to the circus, uh, we start to see some of the more like laid out structure in uh, the entirety of the act. Uh, And at one point... Uh, You know, we see, uh, you know, Phoenix's mom, who's getting pulled from her hair, basically. Uh, And as she's getting lifted up, you know, nearby, she sees her husband is about to uh, hook up with that tattooed woman. And she's, like, screaming to, like, let her down. And then we have a very pivotal part of the movie uh, where, you know, she looks to get a little bit of... Revenge, in this case, for her husband, uh, or, you know, just lover in this case, cheated on her. Uh, So she reaches inside this random cabinet (laughs) and uh, pulls out some sulfuric acid. Why it's in there, I don't know, besides the point. But anyway, so what does she do? She's like, all right, you want to cheat on me? Well, uh, I'm just going to pour this acid all over your penis. And sure enough, that's exactly what she does. Uh, But of course, you know, the husband overpowers her, uh, pushes her up against the knife board, and uh, cuts off both of her arms, much like the Saint Martyr of the Santa Sangre, which I thought was very befitted. Uh, In this movie, but it's just the fact that, you know, you have the wife going not only after him, but also trying to get her hands on the (laughs) tattooed woman. Uh, But nothing really comes out of that in the moment. But it would later on when, you know, Phoenix is starting to act as her hands, uh, so to speak, even though a lot of that is just hallucination based.
1: But don't skip the part about the dad killing himself. I mean, that was Mm -hmm. really... um jarring and intense scene because even though he's cut off her hands the damage is done and he he walks out of that area holding his privates and blood's just gushing through his hands and then he's staring at his circus and then he just slits his own throat in front of the caravan where phoenix has been locked his mother had locked him in there before she started this whole sequence of events but he's he's got a window so he can see what's going on and it's just brutal. And then it's just a r- quick reminder that you're watching a horror movie mm-hmm. because the, the, the movie is so saturated with color and action and all sorts of shit that um, you, you tend to forget, and comedy, by the way, that you tend to forget that you're watching a horror movie and then you're, you're brought right back. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it's kind of like in that instance, he felt like all of his power was taken away. So he really had no reason to live at that point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He couldn't. He couldn't live without his PP.
1: Uh, <laughs> Great input, John.
2: <laughs> that scene. That scene also really reminded me of, uh, or not just that scene in general, but when when it kind of went all haywire at that point when all the murders and everything started happening, it started to, it, it visually looked a lot like Dario Argento, everything oh. turning red with the lighting right. and the kind of. Very kind of beautiful imagery, but like horrible, you know, content in terms of people being murdered. But it kind, of, kind of like the murder in Suspiria, you know, the famous right. one.
0: But wasn't, and you're not... wasn't his brother one of the screenwriters of this movie? Um,
1: well, I knew he was
0: one of the producers. I know, it, are... I know he was
1: attached to it. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember about the writer of the script. Shoot, they were, so I ended up watching a lot of videos of. There's a lot of content from Jodorowsky online, like videos of him talking about his work, mm-hmm. but also a lot of videos about him talking about theology and his per, uh, perception of it and existence in the world. And it's um, I and I don't know if I should save this till the end. I'm gonna save it till the end. Let's keep talking about the movie it's and a, then I'll tell you how I almost joined the cult today.
0: So his brother did the screenplay. Mm. Claudio
2: Argento, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. I didn't know that. That that must have. I feel then that must have been a direct intentional reference because it very much started to look like an Argento movie for that for that section. That yeah, no, it's like that is definitely like okay. Now things are picking up. Mm-hmm. We were kind of in an art film before, and now we're definitely in a horror movie. <laughs>
1: And at this point, we also see the tattooed lady, she sort of sees the kind of mess that's going down, doesn't want to get involved with it. She grabs Alma and she skedaddles. And that's where you get that very sort of, uh, the very fam- famous or just the image of her with her hands on, uh, on the back of a car window as, as they're, she's being separated from Phoenix since it's in all the trailers and all that good stuff. So there we go. End of act one. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good act, I thought. Pretty intense.
0: And then we so, uh, we we go back to the asylum, where mm-hmm. we start to see uh, Phoenix getting a little bit more rope in the sense that he's being introduced to uh, some of the other people who have also been brought to this institute. Uh, and you know it's a pretty it's a pretty important night uh, for some of them because you know Phoenix is gonna go out with the you know some Good of his voice. new friends to the movies. You know, gotta you gotta make make you uh, feel like you have a life and you're not just, you know, like in this uh, building all of the fucking time. Uh, So, you know, they're going to go out to the movies, which doesn't really pan out, uh, you know, because the handler has some other plans. (laughs) Which, uh, very interesting. So this is where we tie uh, into the Red Light District. uh, Where, you know, the plan is alright, we're not going to go to the movies. No, we're going to go out, have a little fun, do a little dancing. Uh, we're going to have a few party favors. You know, all, <laughs> all these guys are snorting cocaine. And then the plan is to have them shack up with one of the fatter prostitutes. Uh, but, you know, Phoenix doesn't partake in this. Uh, you know, everyone else is like paying $5 out of pocket, uh, you, you know, to uh, get in on the action. But Phoenix spots the tattooed woman dancing... Uh, You know, with the handler in this case, and that kind of like offsets the next things, which I thought was pretty interesting. So even though we had like that moment of separation, it's been all these years later, the first night out on the town, Phoenix stumbles across one of the people from his past, which, you know, kind of a small world. Well, if you think
1: about it, um, I was just saying like, oh, it's not super unlikely. Like he if he never left the although she was supposed to have left the area. But if he was going to catch her anywhere, mm-hmm. he was going to be in the red light district, mm-hmm. which we do. And then we um, we see what she has sort of been doing with her time, which is just full on prostitution and also uh, abusing Alma and selling her off on occasion. And uh, in the. Well, actually, in the following scene, then it might going to be skipping ahead because maybe we go back to the institution and then we have the big, big breakout which wasn't that difficult because the window was open and he had a perch <laughs> and a rope and a literal rope.
2: <laughs> it was a pretty low security institution. Mm-hmm.
1: Like a Montessori institution, really. <laughs> so he goes back to the institution. Um, they're feeling like he's progressing. And at one point he's he's um, in his room and he hears a voice and he goes to the window and he sees that it's his mother. And so he grabs a very large rope that was in his room with the big perch and the open window. (laughs) He just very easily climbs down and it's his mother. And then he he follows his mother and they go off and they start uh, a life and an act together.
0: Mm.
1: And so his mother, because she has been attacked by his dad has no arms and like, you've already spoiled it already. She's not really there, but (laughs) we're not, we're, we're not so the, the viewer doesn't really know that at this point, right? There's a big reveal at the end. I mean, there's a lot of heavy clues, Uh, But uh, they start this act where uh, she is presenting and and telling a story to an audience while he is her hands and they're manicured. And I was really impressed at the all of those hand movements. I thought they were really spot on. And apparently during the filming of this, Jodorowsky had told the actress uh, um, uh, Blanca Guerra to so her arms were behind her and the. um, uh, phoenix's arms are around her she was holding on to his crotch and that's how they were like going ste- step and step and and moving so seamlessly at the same time well i mean that's what he says anyway who knows i believe him
0: yeah, okay who, so anyway. who, who, know, who knows <laughs> that would that would uh keep them close together never would have guessed
1: so right yeah. so uh and this is sort of like beginning of the next section of their life. Um, and at the same time, though, we kind of go back to the tattooed woman. And there is, of course, one of the, the big kill scenes of the movie, which is uh, she has brought in three army dudes to come and have sex with, with her. And she takes two of them, and then she tells the third one, well, here's Alma, she's a deaf mute, so you can do whatever you want to her. No one's going to hear her. And uh, she wakes up, and she manages to run away. And then, of course, that's when we get the the ear scene that made no sense where she's walking through all this like debauchery going on on the street in the red light district and she sees this man who's just he's just uh, in a suit and he doesn't seem like he's doing anything wrong and she becomes mesmerized by the fact that he seems kind of out of place and then before you know it he's taken off his ear and he's trying to feed it to her so that was that was a thing but anyway at the same time we see that what we are sort of made to assume is uh, mom over here has found tattoo lady and stabs her to death in a very, very graphic way. It's a little, yeah. It, it was, it was rough, and it was, it, it was, it was a good scene. Uh, what'd you guys think? Also reminded me of
2: Dario Argento in that part too. It felt like um, a, a Giallo movie, like the that kind of style of filmmaking in those parts as well. He must have been a fan. John must have been a fan, even aside from working with Argento. Um, But yeah, that was a great scene. And uh, the hands, you know, I didn't want to jump too far ahead, but definitely started to feel like Psycho, like a version of Psycho where you have the son and mother and, it, he's basically acting out, she, you know, he's committing murders for her, you know, at least as far as he's concerned. Uh, and of course, you know, as we talked about, she doesn't exist. She's kind of in his head. Mm-hmm. And, people, and it's like, you know, he's her hands, but clearly she's controlling him. And I also want to point out to, uh, to this kind of part, the mother and daughter or mother and son relationship at this point in the movie that he is a big fan of uh, the invisible man and universal horror movies. And that, you know, made a connection to me with the whole hypnotism aspect of the movie, because that's a big factor in universal horror movies where Dracula or the mummy Uh, is hypnotizing the woman and making them, you know, fall in love with them and do their bidding. And they kind of, you know, definitely had that aspect. And even kind of the hand motions that he would do when he was acting as her hands were kind of like those Dracula, you know, Bella Lugosi kind of hand moves. And so they were kind of introducing a bit of universal horror into the movie at that point.
0: Now we will say, like, with the tattooed woman and the kill scene, uh, you know, you, you had those elements of, like, theatrical blood, but then you also had a lot of, like, the silhouette play, where you see the mm-hmm. curtain, you see, uh, you know, the shadows, you see all the movements happening, and, you know, you're still able to see the blood splatter uh, behind the curtains as well, so I thought it was a good take to not only, you know, actually get the gore in that scene, but also, you know, you kind of, in a way, pull back the curtain a little bit, too, where, you know... You can actually see the motion, uh, but, you know, you don't get the full picture all of the time because, you know, sometimes less is more in the case uh, with some of these kill scenes. So I thought that was a pretty unique thing to kind of have both sides of the coin kind of like compacted into uh, one scene, but all in a really good kill. And, you know, as John had mentioned, you know, you had like a whole red light in straight out of a, a jolly in this case, uh, which was... Pretty awesome. uh so after this, um, is when you know we see what Phoenix has been up to. You know, with the hand motion scene. That's when he meets. I want to say her name is Ruby, uh, who is like this dancer who is, uh who performs like this schoolgirl striptease, uh, as part of the show. And you know, she thinks that the two of them together would be uh, a hit, uh, for you know whatever act that they want to put together, and of course what happens we have some more knife play and hypnosis uh between phoenix and this dancer uh and phoenix ends up throwing knives around her before finally hitting her in the chest and that's when he has you know he sees his mother again and basically telling her like hey like you know wait wake her up uh so she gets she gets snapped out of her state of hypnosis uh, and, you know, she she sees what happened, and you have, like, that slow, uh, like, fall with her back up against the board, and you see, like, a blood splatter as she's dying there up against the knife board. And I thought that was great. You know, you don't really get the whole hypnosis element, as I mentioned, like, with the circus acts, so to see that in the moment where, you're like, everything's fine, and you know eventually things are gonna go wrong, and sure enough, that just final shot straight to the chest uh, but, you know, you have to have that wake up moment. Otherwise, that sort of scene just wouldn't really work because you don't have, you know, that moment of realization or that moment where you're like, oh, shit, like this actually happened. So you have to have that sort of punch in there. Otherwise, a scene like that would just fall flat.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, mean, great. I liked the way. Uh... He is he. The knife hits her, and she's just standing there, not really reacting. And there's isn't really blood. And then when he releases her, all of a sudden blood all comes out of her mouth, and she reacts to it. It was like the effects of the of the knife hit didn't really even happen until she was you know released out of her spell that, kind of thing.
1: And that's weird because that's sort of saying like that the effects of his hypnotism are so strong that they can defy death if only like maybe a couple of moments Mm -hmm. which is uh sort of goes to the uh the the level of um of strength or or you know that that he wields when when he's incidentally like sort of pantomiming as his dad because he's dressed like his dad would dress it's the same act that his dad would do and as he's throwing the knives at her he's flashing back to that scene with the tattooed woman and actually uh ruby here is reacting in the same way that that the tattoo woman reacted And
2: um, reenacting. Yeah. I did. And, uh, oh, so go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just, uh, I was actually going to move on to something else, but you had something.
2: Oh, I just wanted to say about that section, too. uh, I I love the part where he goes and digs the grave, and he's wearing a dark overcoat with his sequin boots, and he's like digging a grave. It's so fabulous. Funny image. Of that part and then paints her white which i don't know if, did anyone did you go know
1: because uh you know he had she this person had awakened a sexual urge in him which to him is completely tied to violence and and he keeps killing these women with that that arouse a uh, um temptation in him and then he paints them their brides they're like virginal brides that he's painting mm-hmm. like to make them untouchable sexually kind of thing
0: well i i I'm also, I'm assuming... You. I also kind of took it as uh the the white paint for uh Alma cuz like oh. that was like his first love basically as a child a and point. they've they've had all that distance between them over the course of the years cuz you know he went away for a while but you know he's trying to get back to her because like even later on he says like that you know he's he's been waiting for this moment for them to be reunited mm-hmm. in this case so that that's how I took it well
1: you know well the the name alma which again gets brought up in all these reviews translates to soul mm-hmm. in spanish and so uh you know in, in a sense try to connect to his to himself try to connect to this other part like you know because right now it's just it's either mom or dad that are going through his head which is uh not working out to tell you the truth but i wanted to talk a little bit about um aladdin the uh he ends up reuniting well we it, it, it is pretty obvious that he's hallucinating, but. Uh, if you sort of take it as face value or at face value, he reunites with a couple of different people from his past, one of them being Aladdin, which uh, was uh, the the little person that that worked with him at at the circus. And so he joins him again, but as sort of like a manservant, like henchman, and I gotta say, living in an abandoned mansion with a manservant and then just being really melodramatic and playing the piano with your mother and it was just, you know, my life seems so small. <laughs> Why can't I live in a imagine in an when abandoned?
2: That was also uh, the, kind of the universal horror thing. Oh. You remember he had his lab and and yes. uh, the, was he was like his lab his sort of Igor lab assistant. And I think he was trying I, when he made that blue potion that he drank. It seemed like he must have been trying to turn himself invisible. I think.
1: Right, he was. Yeah. yeah.
2: Because like he you, was obsessed with the invisible man and everything.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. Or he's trying to erase himself or kill himself and it just wasn't working. Nope. But I just I really loved all of the uh like the 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 same outfits that him and Aladdin would have and it was just, I don't know, very proper Dracula slash, you know, like you were saying, univer, universal pictures evil evil scientists, you know, style yeah. like because they're always rich in those movies. Like they're not—they're not—they're not, they're not associated with any organization that does science. It's just a rich ass dude that lives in an old mansion who's doing his own experiments. Mm-hmm. That—that's how I want to live my life. So anyway, so that's—that's that's happened. And during the scene where uh, Ruby gets killed, um, they're trying to get rid of the body. And to admit, like I thought this was hilarious. They find a plushie suit, a gigantic plushie suit that they stuff her in and like drag her out of the theater with them. And like, it was donkey just, suit. What?
2: I think it was a donkey suit. It was like, yeah,
1: but it was like a plush donkey kind of yeah. thing, right? And then they just zipped her up yeah. in that. and then it was gigantic, which easily took her, you know, was able to, you know, manage to hide her body in that. But there's just so much, uh, there's so much humor and all of these weird and awful, like sort of events that it makes them really palatable, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and the thing is, like, we like horror movies. They're kind of palatable anyway to us. But if you try to sort of like pull back a little bit, it's just... It really mutes the 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 violence, and I think a big reason of, for it is that we're supposed to really love him and really care for Phoenix and really want him to 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 figure out a way out of this. Like you're thinking less about the people that he's killing and more about him, like growing up and getting out of his parents' shadow.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> I I, cool. I don't want to see him constantly getting uh, pelted with roosters. Like he hallucinates oh when he's playing the piano when he uh he's playing the <laughs> Saint song. <laughs> That's would be great
1: she's like there, it's always swans or something <laughs> and they were literally
2: dropping them on him you could tell by the way he was reacting that they, they, they were literally just dropping chickens on him or whatever
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man so right after this scene I'm thinking um, is the strong woman scene
2: um he picks up the strong woman uh but
0: not that's, before the that's snakes... before he meets like the pharmacist okay, because oh, he's trying right, to get more things for his invisible man experiments and actually barely matters <laughs> well like they they like set up a date basically because she wanted to like Jesus check out the, the experiments yeah. and that's when he hallucinates the giant snake uh basically constricting him to death and that kind of gives him like the idea like hey, maybe like, that is the way out of this. I'm going to find the strongest thing around me. And then that's when uh, he hears about like this wrestling event happening <laughs> that night.
1: I I, I kind of took it a little differently. I, I kind of took it that, uh, or I think this is what, you might mean the same thing where he sees the announcement that there's a strong woman coming, the strongest woman mm-hmm. on earth. And he thinks like, here's one that can actually help me overcome what my mother basically and I can finally have sex and so like it's like a sexual urge that you know the snake representing like his erect penis it's mm-hmm. just sort of like choking him to <laughs> and that was probably the best scene representing a sexual urge that I've ever seen <laughs> Just a giant, of, like, oh my god
2: <laughs> I mean, the snake was literally coming out of his pants yeah <laughs>
1: And then the the pharmacist was like, "What's going on? Are you okay?" And he was like, "It's just a hallucination, okay." <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, <laughs> no, no, big it's, like it's no big deal. It's an everyday thing.
1: Keep it together. <laughs> and so, right, the the strong woman. So he goes to a, the wrestling match that she's part of, and uh, goes into the locker room. Goes right into where she's taking a shower, and uh, she comes out bare chested, and there's a he's carrying a flower for her. <laughs> And basically gets her to come back to his place um, because he's got alcohol. And she's like, yeah, well, I'll go for a drink. And um, this was a pretty great scene. Like, he has a a small stage set up already. And uh, he's supposed to... There's a sarcophagus. yeah, And it's supposed to release a hundred doves. And the thing is, I watched this movie a long time ago. And... I remember thinking, like, I know it's not 100 Doves, but I kind of wanted to see 100 Doves. (laughs) But then, of course, inside is his mother, ready to kill. Uh, So close. So close. So he has a fight scene with the strong woman, hoping that she will overpower him. But she she gets cocky, and after she does physically overpower him, she turns her back, and out comes a sword, and she gets it, unfortunately.
0: Never turn your back to the enemy.
1: No, always make sure they're dead.
0: Snake.
2: You know, I was a little bit surprised to see a samurai sword come out. I was kind of expecting it to be like a big medieval broadsword kind of thing, but it was a samurai sword. I don't know why, but I guess just the kind of religious aspect of it, you know? That's true, too. (laughs) But, yeah, then he, of course, kills it. And this is you know, the point in the movie where it was very feeling more and more like you were getting that kind of psycho aspect where mm-hmm. he's killing for his mother and acting that out and being, you know, who's the puppet? She's puppeting him. He's puppeting her. So who's controlling who?
1: Agreed. And then there's a really cool scene after this. I believe it's right after this. And that's when he's Bearing the strong woman and he he sees all of the 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 zombie bodies or the zombies of all the women that he's killed before mm. and you haven't really seen and you haven't seen any of these deaths you've only seen tattooed woman you've seen ruby you've seen strong woman am i missing anybody else nope. uh but when the when the bodies come out i was i was trying to count them and i think i counted like 12 or 15 and they're all uh naked painted white cuz he's been doing that right and mm-hmm. with a with a white veil on and so you the, and then it hits you that he's been doing this for a minute mm-hmm. and and so like the it, it's it, and it's this really incredible scene too i don't know did you guys dig it
0: cuz i thought it was pretty great well it, it kind of reminded me a bit of like maniac when all of the that's uh, right f- females that uh, he had killed came back to like tear him apart basically mm mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: visually, that was a great
0: scene.
1: What's
2: that? Oh, visually, that was a great scene with all the graves all at once in a wide shot, you know, everybody coming out of there. Uh, Yeah, and he, he doesn't explicitly tell you what's going on up until that point, but then you realize he's killed a lot of people and he's been painting them all white. He sort of has his MO that he does. Which, of course, we saw earlier, but we only saw him do that to the one woman earlier.
1: Mm-hmm. So that was pretty neat.
2: I know it's funny because uh, the movie, you know, as we get closer to the end of the movie, it's funny how because uh, that scene, you know, he's he's pretty sympathetic, and even all the way, I think, all the way up to the end of the very end of the movie, he's sympathetic, and you want him to. Kind of have a happy ending, but which is funny because he's killed so many people, and he's such you know, a. <laughs> I hope i do not jumping ahead too much, but I think, and not only that, but like, you know, as we were, we've talked about, she his mother wasn't really there. I mean, I guess it's sort of a question of how, how she was there at one point, up to a point, right, and then. Yeah. And when she, she got
1: her arms chopped off she that's she died and then oh. we kind of back later where um, yeah well after the scene he goes back into the house and uh, that's where he sees Alma because Alma oh right so uh, while some of this this was as we were following the story there is a side story going on with Alma where she sees um, the hands uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the act but she she's given uh, a picture from this guy. Uh, who's like sort of updating the the presentation board outside of a theater. And it has like his hands because of his act, but not his face. And so she gets this card and she turns it around and she sees the information associated with the act. And so she's able to track him down all the way to the mansion and she sneaks in. And this is where, um, you don't get the big reveal then, but she goes into the bedroom, into the bed that he shared with his mother. Or so we thought, right? Which was weird enough as it was adding weird on top of weird on top of weird. Mm -hmm. and then uh, paints her face like she used to, wears a costume like she used to, and transforms herself into what she was when she was a little kid in terms of the act that she would do. And then he comes back in, and uh, I thought this was a really neat scene, and I wondered how they made it, and I thought to myself, did they really make a a -a tilt-a-world that looked like the mansion? He's walking through the house, and it looks like the house is moving like this, but I guess it could just be the camera but part of me really hopes that Jodorowsky kind of built a different set for
2: that. to show him have is reality becoming right. unhinged. Definitely. And then, of course, you know, we find out that... So he must have... So we find out it's, for the most part, all in his head at the point where he escapes from the institution? Is that what it is?
1: Well... I kind of thought that, uh, well, he escapes from the institution and then he starts his own act because mm-hmm. the act must be real. Because in Alma's reality, she's seen um, the, uh, the pictures and also the ruby scene where uh, uh, he so he's built. And, and later we see the big reveal is that his mother doesn't exist. It's just a dummy that he's constructed, a very large. like So he places this dummy onto a dress and then he does the hands and he's been sort of making a living doing that. And he killed Ruby uh, after she came on to him. And he's at home, though he's been pretending to have this life with his mother. And um, so oh, Alma we... comes in. Oh. What's that? Oh, go ahead.
2: Go ahead.
1: Oh no. So yeah, Alma comes into the to the mansion, and you don't see it in the first uh, in the first uh, scene that she does this. But she pulls away the covers, and what she's seeing, which you don't see right away, is that it's uh, a dummy of his mother in bed. Yeah. And so then goes out, finds him, and he's, of course, overjoyed to see her and is, is just very happy. But then, of course, in comes mom, psycho style, and asks him to cut off her arms. And Alma, like, is offering them up to him, just basically saying, like, you got this. You, I trust you. <laughs> and then you have the clowns coming back. And uh, it, it, was, it was a cool scene, though. It was uh, him basically moving beyond the influence of of all those uh, tra- uh the the traumatic things that he lived through and and was still living through when
2: uh when he defeats his mother when you know she's standing there yelling and they're kind of yelling at each other and then she fades away it kind of reminded me of w- the wizard of oz you know yeah he just throw he throw the water on her and she just kind of instantly is defeated you know just sort of like it's sort of that simple, not, you know. Not that it was simple; he went through all that stuff, but he was able to just kind of, of it at the end. But I, that's why I thought a lot of it was meant to be in his head at the end. Because once she fades away, we also see Alma fade away. And no, the- Alma
1: doesn't fade away. Um, does he- the the clowns fade away. Right. Uh, well, the clowns help him. Like they, there's a scene where the, the clowns, him, and Alma uh, ha- are holding on to the dummy of his mother, and they're in the second story now. And they toss her oh. over the in, inner inside the house balcony onto the floor. And then they go downstairs and they use all the candles he had lit and they burn the effigy, uh, if you want to call it that. And then that's when he's sort of, you know, this is after he's the, the mom has already disappeared, but he's sort of and then he sees that it's a dummy and he sees what he's been doing. And is this when they do like a little flashback to like his act and to like. Like they, they do a flashback too, that scene where he's playing piano with his mother. and uh, it turns out he didn't even have a piano. <laughs> I was upset about that too. I was like, oh, I would have been needed a piano piano. So it was all made up, and then uh, the clowns disappear because that was part of his coping me- mechanism, and then Aladdin disappears, another part of his coping di- mechanism, the positive ones, right? The really gentle ones. But then Alma still stays there. And then she pulls him away and they go out uh, because the pharmacist who had come in for her date and saw all the shit that was going on went over and called the cops, finally.
0: Yeah, after getting and, a knife uh, thrown at her.
1: Oh, that's right, after getting a knife thrown at her. Forgot about that. That'll make you call the cops too. <laughs> and uh, and so Alma, you know, brings him out. Although there's no saying that she's not also a coping mechanism, right? It could all be in his head. And, uh, and then he raises his hands and he's like, Oh yeah, the hands. So he's really crazy about the. He's really happy about the fact that he. They're his hands. They're not his mother's hands, and Alma had taken off the the fake uh, nails that he was using, and so that was a big old point. Was that like he finally had agency in his life, and those were his hands, and even though he was going to prison forever, he was really happy to be his own man and
2: mm. and grow up. That seemed to be the big overall theme of the movie. Um. Kind of agency, you know the yeah. mother, the son, the father, as you said, uh, in your research and Amer- the relationship between America and, Me- and Mexico.
1: So, yeah. And, and, that's, um, I'm sorry to be nerding out so much, but I kind of went down this rabbit hole. Um, we, there's, like I was saying, there's uh, does a lot of lectures. So a lot of them have been interviews where it's just somebody asking him, his that, you know, his perspectives on certain things. And, um, and they're all super interesting. The man is incredibly interesting. And he's still, he he's put out movies even recently. He's like in his 90s, his mid-90s. And I think he just, he put out like two movies like in the last like 10 years or something, or five years. Like it's insane. Like this guy's still going. And um, and so there's all these um, uh, lectures that he's given and they're like in his home. And, and his wife comes by and he and some of them are about his work and some of them are just about existence. And I'm listening to these and I was, I was at lunch at work and I had them had my headphones in and I was walking, walking and listening to this. And a lot of them made a lot of sense. <laughs> and he's talking uh, a, a lot about how you can't really be your own person because you're from the moment you were born. And he's and the he says this in very intense and eloquent ways. Like, uh, when your parents gave you your name uh, that was a rape you were raped and <laughs> it was like oh take it easy uh, because he's saying that if, if, you know you're you're born with all of these expectations put upon you and and you know you're told you're this you're this and you're this and you're you're this religion because that's the religion of your parents and your your this is your tri- and he goes on and on about this and how you know oh different ways to sort of get away from that like Write your name on a piece of paper and put it in a box and put that box aside and then give yourself a new name that you pick and use it for a day, for a week, for a month. So I'm listening to this. Right. And hours and hours of content online, by the way, there's a shit ton of this. (laughs) And I'm listening to this and he's 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 making a lot of sense. And then he starts talking about um, the 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 real the the important things in life or the realities of existence, which are um, there's. There's uh, creativity, there's truth, and there's sex. And I was like, cult, this is a cult. Hey, everybody, <laughs> shut it down. It's a cult. <laughs> so he doesn't have a cult. I'm just exaggerating, of course. But I wanted to say, like, with his intensity and his intellect, if he wasn't making movies, he'd be making cults. Yeah, That's all I'm getting at. <laughs> and they were super interesting. I kind of want to go back and listen some more.
2: Yeah, isn't that documentary about him? Whenever they interview him, he's definitely like that kind of cult leader guy. You know, he, he's always kind of talking about philosophy and life and everything. Mm-hmm. In his interviews connected to everything he does, definitely.
1: Well, he was a surrealist. He also um, became involved in like Zen Buddhism, and actually, like you know, worked with a with a. Zen master, and it, you know, it it was, he, he's been going into these different, you know, uh, realms, and when he became involved with the Beatles, the Beatles, like, having, they produced um, his movie, uh, Holy Mountain, he was saying that uh, he met the spiritual ones, which was Lennon and George, and that George, I think, George was supposed to be the lead in the movie, but he refused to, to, to show his asshole on screen, so, you know... (laughs) I gotta get a new one. but he talked a lot about how he doesn't he never liked using famous actors in his movies because they're too hard to work with or control which now that you think back like there's little tidbits that sort of give you like oh <laughs> like for example, there was one of the lectures that I was listening to it's him in his home or he, it's him in a place and behind him is a library so just books and there's you know just a camera on him and this is one of those ones talking about philosophy. And then at one point he stops and he's like, can you stop moving? Because when you moved your hand just now, I'm out of the moment. I can't think of what I was saying. <laughs> so can you just not move? And he's talking to the camera guy and he's like, okay, so just don't move. <laughs> and then later on, he's like, well, where's the sound guy that I sent away? Where is he? He was making too much. Yeah. Where's Can, like, can we bring him back? <laughs> it's like, Holy shit, man.
0: <laughs>
1: but uh, I think um, I think the dude's a genius and I think he could be a cult leader
0: if he wanted to. Yeah. And he also doesn't have famous people on because they won't show their assholes. Exactly. That's, that's basically what I understood from this conversation.
1: <laughs> well, because he won't, because he doesn't want to deal with their egos. So he, mm. and in fact, when like the whole Dune thing that we were talking about, uh, his Dune uh, project, uh, I think it was Pink Floyd was supposed to be part of it and, and, um, and do the soundtrack, but they were also being difficult. So mm. he kind of also, you know, stepped that, that was something that he brought up in in, in some of the interviews that I that I listened to. So it was interesting.
0: That's why you just have a butt double.
1: Mm. Butt double. That's what I was thinking. I was like, why can't you just have a butt double? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I That's guess, soft. you know, you got to be authentic. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Although I, I, I might have paid good money to see
0: George Harrison's asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> uh so anyways so yeah that's uh Santa Sangre uh very interesting movie and you know as I mentioned last week like this has been like on a lot of like top 500 film lists like of every film ever made uh so it's definitely one to like hunt down I watched it on Midnight Pulp uh I don't know if it's available to stream anywhere else right now I know it was on Shudder for a while but it's no longer Mm -hmm. on
1: it's on uh um there's a streaming service called fandor i think it's on fandor and um and i think oh no 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 i rented it on amazon for a dollar
0: a whole dollar
1: but i only had it for 48 hours and then I, i wanted to go back and check some stuff out i'm like it's gone and i'm not paying another dollar Alright, well thank you so much guys for letting me talk so much. <laughs> this was kind of this was kinda like the Holly show today, I'm sorry.
0: That's all right. I mean it was it was your pick. So you know. Yeah, but it's one of those what? movies where
1: there's so much stuff to delve into, there's and there's so much content, there's so many interviews, there's so many, there's so much shit to go through to do a review that didn't at least reference all the crazy shit associated with it. It's not much of a review at all. There were some of those online where, because like, I was looking at different reviews too, and there's people that just kind of talk about the movie and like the acts, and they're like, that's it. And I'm like, did you not fuck shit? So I'm glad that we got a chance to uh, to do a little bit of a deeper dive because there's no way that we, I even scratched the surface.
0: Yeah, and I will say too, like with the whole Alma reunited with him bit, I really appreciated the fact that you did kind of like a go back to like the circus attire and the makeup because it really gives you that feel of like authenticity where like if she wasn't in that you really wouldn't have that sort of connection so she's presenting herself in that moment basically as how phoenix would remember her too
1: Mm -hmm. that's right rising from the ashes phoenix good job
2: (laughs) i also want to add that even though there weren't creepy clowns in this movie it does sort of uh, still have, it sort of it shows that circuses, classic circuses, are sort of creepy unto themselves. The other roles in the circus as well, there's a sort of creep factor to it all. And so even when it's not the clowns, you can still have, like, the creepy trapeze lady and the creepy strong man like, center ring guy. And all that, and creepy relationships, and <laughs> and all of that is that is why they. I wonder if that's why they, some of these filmmakers pick these settings. You know, like Todd Browning's Freaks takes place. Oh
0: right.
2: And you know that you can kind of have this outlandish, kind of weird lifestyle. You know, that's outside mm-hmm. of the normal lifestyle.
1: One thing that he talked about in all, in, in his videos again, <laughs> in his in his church, was that uh, that that's something big for him that he that that life shouldn't be plain that it should be multicolored that it should everything should be heightened everything should be overstimulating, and uh, that, you know that's that's all of his movies you know they're way over the top there there's there's no sense of of just finality or or everyday associated with them so, and yeah. I want a cape.
2: And a mm-hmm.
1: seat, cowboy <laughs> sequence cowboy suit. A sequence cowboy suit? I will
2: settle that's all for the a rhyme Oh my god. <laughs> it was like Kid Rock in that part, I was
1: thinking. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, good stuff.
0: All right, so looking ahead, uh, you know, next week we have the start of April. Uh, so, you know, with that, we also have a new phobia. All right, so month of april we are doing the fear of bugs aka uh entomophobia or insectophobia whichever one you want to use i mean they're both go hand in hand in this case uh so you know in the next couple of days we'll be uh scratching our heads and putting our heads together in regards to you know which ones we want to tackle but we got four weeks uh and john will have the first pick
1: but I have a question uh,
0: for this one. Yes. What
1: is it just bugs or can we do creepy crawlies like slither and stuff? Or is it two two creature feature? It has to be bugs. Going bugs or arachnids.
0: I I, I would say we should probably stick to bugs. I don't uh,
1: I'm kidding. Yes, let's do bugs.
0: And uh, there, there's some pretty interesting things that we could pull from. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we might even have another Argento movie or another Cronenberg movie because uh, uh, one of them falls directly into that, too, that we haven't talked about. The Fly? I mean, actually, there's a couple. <laughs> That's not the one I was immediately thinking of. Which one were you thinking about? Is it a surprise? Uh, well, I was thinking more like Naked Lunch would fall into that. Oh, yeah. But that's not necessarily straight horror.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't seen Naked Lunch. I'm, I'm intrigued. <sighs> and the
2: uh, Argento one, I'm forgetting. Oh, wait, I'm forgetting the name, but it's Jennifer Connelly's first
1: movie. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Phenomenon? Oh, yeah, that one. Phenomenon,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, it's ph- Phenomena, which is Phenomenon. in 85. Uh,
2: And I was also thinking, although it doesn't quite, it's not completely a bug movie, but of course the Creepshow movie from the 80s has that last
1: story. We did that before you joined us, though. (laughs) But that that would have been right in there. (laughs) But that's only one of the
2: stories, so it doesn't really count as a bug movie. Right.
0: All right, so that will be coming to handle with Scare next month. And, you know, as soon as we figure out... Uh what the selections are gonna be, we'll announce it on our social media. Uh and of course, you know, to find that, uh you know, primarily we tweet constantly on Twitter at hands up with scare. Uh you can find all of our content over on YouTube at youtube.com slash handlewiscarepod. Uh if you're looking to contact the show, you can do so via email at hands at gmail.com and, of course, you can find everything and everything in between on our website at handlewithscarepod.com. All right. So that being said, guys, thank you so much again for joining us tonight on another episode of Handle With Scare. This has been episode 53, talking all about Santa Gray. I've been your host, Tumely Drunk, joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Holly Hooch and Sean. And we'll see you all in a week. You take care.